Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Technology Leadership Podcast, hosted by TechSource, Germany's leading technology and product recruitment specialist agency. And today we are joined by Kasia Mulalepsha, who is currently head of product at Expatrio and has had a, yeah, a pretty decent career in product, I would say, within Germany, worked at several well-known tech companies. So really interested to get into this today. Welcome, Kasia. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Yeah, it's been lovely getting to know you over the past few weeks, and I'm keen to dig down deep into everything that we've talked about. So in terms of an introduction to yourself, then, you've just joined Expatria, like we've just said, but yeah, please give the listeners a bit Um, of an introduction to yourself and your experience so far, then. Yes, sure. So yeah, as you mentioned, I've been in Expatria since June, so I'm relatively new, only two months. Prior to Expatria, I worked in Creditech, which was a big data scoring company for short and long. So it was a B2C product. Then I was in peer-to-peer lending and investment with securitization vehicle. After that, I moved to Payuge Corporation, supporting payments. For four years, I was a PP product in white label insurance factory element. And just before Expatria, I was head of product and customer success in uh, Lucidate, which is financial crime quantification platform. On the side, I'm also a business angel in two fintech startups in Berlin and a product mentor in Product Leader. Nice. Well, thank you very much for that then. And that's really going to, what's going to be the basis of our conversation today, you know, what makes a great PM, your advice to PMs, what you're doing at the moment, how you've been tackling your challenges, et cetera. So very, uh, very much kind of finance insurance focused, those two industries are are quite similar. What excites you about finance? How come we've been kind of staying in this area for the past few years, would you say? Mm. So I really like solving, I really like building products that solve real customer problems. And I feel like finance for quite some time was not disrupted enough. And there's a lot of innovation, especially I think in Germany, we can see that uh, German banking system, the whole fintech environment is really in need for some innovation. So there is constantly a lot of need for improvement. And once you gain certain experience in fintech startups, you can bring a lot of value for another fintech startups because you are aware of the regulation and certain limitations for the innovation. So I guess I wanted to stay and apply my, my, my previous experience in the new companies. So you've been ahead of multiple times. Built multiple business, multiple products, taking to market multiple products. But you, yeah, you have obviously built teams and work with a lot of product managers. And what I always like like to ask, you know, product leaders is what makes a great PM from their point of view, and you know, what other skills PMs can work on to progress their careers. Hmm. So for for me, it's always communication, 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 communication. Like in real estate, location, location, location. <laughs> It's both inbound and outbound communication. So how you perceive the information, how you listen actively to people, to stakeholders, customers without being biased, and also how you communicate towards customers and stakeholders in order to get an alignment. So from my personal experience, the moment I was communicating very well, I really had to do very little afterwards. I didn't have to have technical knowledge, technical skills, or a lot of market research because I allowed people to bring the information to me and also with articulating what are the main problems, 
engineering team would really come up with the solutions. I wouldn't even have to write a ticket. So mm. it really sold a lot for me. But of course, there are other skills which are very important. Maybe I will focus mostly on the soft skills. So I think it's uh, analytical skills, which are very, very important, and also the customer centricity. Awesome. Communication is always spoken about, but one thing you, you mentioned there is data analytical skills, which we're actually going to get onto in a bit later in the episode. I assume uh, also, because both customers and the data they are bringing and analyzing this data can really bring a lot of value to the organization, and it's still underestimated. So you mentioned working closely with engineers and you, your engineers, you mentioned build the products and come ideas and you didn't have to write tickets. How, as a product manager, is best to work with engineers? What can you do as a product manager to really kind of create that culture of A, working well together, but also putting solutions in the hands of customers that they want? Now I'm also, I'm head of product and engineering. So it's Even better to ask that question. It's helping me a bit. So I think it all starts with defining what kind of product and engineering culture you want to have within the company. Mm-hmm. That helps you a bit with hiring. If you have this opportunity to hire your team from scratch, right? Luckily, I've been always working with engineers who are very interested in what's the problem. They don't want to be so-called coding monkeys. They want to understand what the customer want, why, what is the data behind it. And uh, happened to me several times that with proper explanation, okay, this is what we've observed. This is what customers are saying. This is the data from the interviews. This is the conversion rate. This is the return on the investment we are going to get from the certain feature. Engineers can really come up with fantastic solutions to the problem. So product manager or product owner, depending on the organization, doesn't have to come up with solutions by himself or herself. I had it in one company. I told the team, okay, B2B business, if we are able, as of now, onboard one customer for, it takes us six weeks to onboard one customer for seven teams, it's just math that we've near seven clients, if we are lucky, you know, and we are aiming for one week per team. So it's 52 clients per team. So it's a totally different scale. And the results of the business are very, very different. So this is what I presented to the team. What are the obstacles? What is the data? What does it mean for the business? And they literally come up with the solutions and there we solved it in three months. Maybe it was not one week per team, but it was significantly decrease and also around two weeks per team for one team instead of six weeks for seven teams. So you can really find great solutions, much better solutions than by the business, uh, which are defined by the business by articulating the problems. And I really summarize that is- Using your engineers is collaborating with your engineers and using them to help you in your job as well. Involve uh, them as soon as possible. Yeah, it's it's something I've noticed more. I've seen last year, we're speaking, we speak product leaders, engineering leaders. We've had events about this at Tech Plus that we posted in Berlin. And yeah, bringing engineers and product closer together should almost be under kind of one department now, like yourself being head of products and engineering, which is, which is interesting. Mm, sorry. And this is almost something I was against for a while, that product and engineering, they have a bit different goals. Product wants to deliver as much as possible. Engineering team wants to usually deliver or try new technologies or deliver stuff like the features uh, in a different pace. But if you manage this very well, you can, if you combine it properly, you can achieve great results. And what was that turning point for you then? 
And how did you implement that to create this culture within engineering and products where they work very well together? So it's a bit similar to what I mentioned uh, before, that it starts a bit with hiring and what kind of team you're building. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it was uh, not in in my current company. I've been only for two months, so I inherited a lot of setup and the collaboration. We can improve, but I'm quite satisfied already. But the first time I had to do it, it was actually two companies ago, when I'd been there for quite some time and I was collaborating very closely with VP Engineering. And we realized from both ends that the best solutions and the best results we are achieving if we bring engineering team as soon as possible. So mm-hmm. we started having joint stakeholder meetings. So stakeholders were explaining what are the challenges, what are the problems, how they are suffering, or what kind of jobs to be done they have, and why is it not possible at the moment. And the engineering team would hear it firsthand. We also did send our engineering teams in one of my companies a lot of recordings of the users where we record the users, how they are using the system. We do what usability testing and user researchers. And they start receiving this information firsthand without Chinese whisperer effect mm-hmm. um, and interpretation of someone. And then you need to prioritize it, what's the most important, because they cannot, due to limited time, they cannot start doing everything and they cannot solve all the problems. So you need to prioritize the problems. Uh, from the most important or critical ones, involving them as soon as possible in solution engineering, it's a core. Thanks for that. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, to really kind of summarize everything we've spoke about already there is collaboration and getting the engineers involved with the products, team and solutions engineering as soon as possible. So then, we're head of products. Asha, you've been head of products a couple of times now. What is your goal as a head of products? My personal goal as a head of product, maybe not everybody agrees with me, but my personal goal is to make myself redundant. That's okay. why I know I do my job very well and yeah. I achieve my goal. So what do I mean by make myself redundant? I'm trying to create an environment for product team, for engineering team, for stakeholders, for customers to collaborate in very efficient and effective environment to deliver value. For that, you need to have a good team. You need to have, I really believe in high-performing teams. Mm-hmm. This is something my previous CPO taught me. And the concept of high-performing teams is the key. And once you give people the goal, the KPIs, and the support they need, they can achieve fantastic results. So that's my personal goal. That comes very much hand-in-hand hand with observing the environment improve, and putting the frameworks and trying to improve the environment as much as possible so people can collaborate, helping with prioritization, helping with the communication, helping with solving certain challenges within the organization. Um, I did achieve that a couple of times. And there is a moment where you are sitting in majority of your meetings and you really don't have to say anything. People, you see that they are collaborating, they are achieving fantastic results. And you know, you that the job was done very well because you became redundant. And was that, you know, is that when you kind of, is that a difficult position to be in though in your career? Cause you know, you want job security. You've got a wealth of experience, but yeah, some people might think, hey, if I make myself redundant, that can't actually be good because I might be out the door, especially in the current macroeconomical climate and then people letting people go. But it's an interesting one at the level you're at. And it's not the first time I've heard that either, which is good. So in a nutshell, really, to make yourself redundant, coach and empower your teams and, and get to the point where you're not actually needed there to make yourself redundant. So we've joined our new... We've joined the new team. 
expatrio. Mm-hmm. Yes. One thing I'd love to talk to you about, because you're going through this right now, is your first 100 days as a head of products. So I think this will be this is a great topic to talk about because as, as a head of products, but also as a PM, what should we be doing in our first 100 days in a product leader position? There's a plan which I have in my hand before I join the organization. And then, okay. and then there's the Instagram and, the, and reality, no? Yeah. So, talk us through, well, talk us through on, on the paper, what I would like to do. And it has never worked as per plan. It's usually much faster. Yeah. But first of all, what I really recommend everyone is when you join the organization, try to understand. <laughs> That there are reasons why certain things are happening. There are reasons why this product is going this direction. There are reasons why this product vision, product strategy was chosen. Um, there are re- reasons why certain people collaborate in a certain way. There is a history and yeah, th- there is a past in general. So I think first 30 days, mm-hmm. I really recommend being in a silent mode, observing mode. And of course, except of having a lot of deep dives and having a lot of onboarding uh, sessions. Really try to observe and understand the organization, understand the product, click as much as possible for your product, get your hands dirty, go to as many meetings as you can to have a very, very good understanding. And only then I even think 30 days is not enough uh, to fully understand the product also depends on the complexity of the product. But dedicate as much time as possible to understanding, ask questions. There's no stupid questions. You didn't understand, ask again and again but to get as much clarity and the visibility on the current situation. Because like I said, there are reasons, there, there is many reasons why it's in the current state. Then you can start trying to evaluate. And uh, this is also the moment where I try to, I've observed my team, I've observed each team member, what they are doing, what they are good at. Then I'm trying to evaluate a bit more, okay, are my hypotheses correct? And this is maybe another 30 days. There is actually a framework, 30, 60, 90 <laughs> for the onboarding structure. Yeah. So the next 30 days, day 31 to 60, I would say start evaluating. So you can come up with certain ideas for the improvement. You can start evaluating and also validating those ideas with your peers, with your team. And then I would try to optimize because you have a decent understanding. You've been to a couple of meetings, a couple of recurring meetings, especially. So you, as a head of product, VP product, CPO, you've joined a couple of leadership meetings. You've joined a couple of stakeholder meetings. You can see the dynamics that something is not working. Either it gets canceled all the time. So you start, you can start questioning, like, does it make sense that it's there? It, it gets canceled. Or why does it get canceled? Because it's not valuable. Maybe you should change the meeting. So you can start implementing certain ideas, optimizing. At the same time saying that, usually this timeline change just describes for me within two first weeks. And then my first 90 days on the week four are gone. But I also love it. So I'm not complaining. It's just a bit reversed. But as much as you can, please try to stick to this timeline. That would be my recommendation. So we're understanding people... Processes, procedures, product competition, all of that. What are we evaluating then? So we, we've really spent the first month, first 30 days, actually six weeks if we're talking business days. We have first 30 days, we're understanding, listening to everything, going to as many meetings. But then when we evaluate in, what is your kind of checklist that you're going through as a head of products when you're joining a new business that you want to evaluate in those first few months to see what we can improve on? Oh, there's 
how much which you want to evaluate. So I think it depends a bit on the dynamics of the company, right? If you're joining, uh, I join now in the middle of a big project. I'm tr- what I'm trying to evaluate is how we are delivering on the certain things. How are we following up in order to achieve the the goal line? So it it depends. Ideally, what I really would like to understand is first of all, I'm evaluating my team. Mm-hmm. What are the skills of each person within the team? And especially what are the strengths? Because each person has strengths and we should understand them. And maybe if they are not performing, they are not performing because they are not able to, to use their strengths. We ask people who are very arty to do Excel analysis. No? So you, yeah, you should try to understand what are the strengths. Then I try to understand the processes, product management processes. So how is the feature getting into the backlog? How are we prioritizing? How are we defining what has to be done? What kind of data we are using? Uh, Is everything what is described very clear? And then once we release these features, how are we improving on these features? How are we uh, analyzing those features so in order so we can improve them or pivot or maybe kill the features because you need to analyze this data? But there is just so much. And especially now when I'm head of product engineering, I'm also evaluating, okay, what is the, the general setup of the project? Like what kind of statuses we have? Can I go into the sprint and understand which ticket is in which status? Which ticket has, what's the weight of which ticket? How much, how long does it, is it supposed to take? Not that I want to micromanage people, just to be a reliable partner to the business. Because at the end of the day, we are not delivering features and value just for sake of delivering value. There are some business needs and there are some customer needs behind it. Do we have a definition of done? I've seen this, that tickets are getting close, but you don't understand, have, have I actually done anything? Because there was no definition of them. There was no acceptance criteria. Tickets got into sprint. We haven't re- really challenged why is this solution the best solution? We didn't involve engineering team or stakeholders. We didn't ask five whys to get to the root cause of the problem, right? What I also see a lot when I join the organization, especially small early stage startups where you try to be dynamic and you try to be agile, but there is a certain difference between agile and chaotic. (laughs) Is it first, last in, first out? So the last idea, I woke up in the morning and now I have this idea and this is becoming the most important thing I'm going to jump on. So it's, yeah, from the ideation of the product, of the product features, to hypothesis, validation of the product, to the execution of the product, and then measuring the product afterwards. I'm trying to go through the whole value chain of the product management and product delivery and assess each step. And and I start from the beginning, like, how are we getting these features into the backlog? What is happening with those features? And then what is happening with the features after the release? There you go. Thank you very much on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so really going through the entire product development lifecycle and making sure how we're getting, how are, how are they currently getting, making decisions and getting to their, those decisions and what are the processes in place there? And then how do you start to action when we're optimizing then? How do you start to action things that you want to improve that we're going to start going through that expatrio so you can keep some cards closer to your chest? But yeah, how do you, when you join a business, you spent the first 60 days understanding, evaluating, now we actually want to make some changes. How do you actually go about that? So I just tell them I are changing from tomorrow. <laughs> no, you need to get a buy-in, no? So as just like a feature, I think as product managers, and especially when you believe in communication, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's getting a bit easier because you understand, okay, I've realized, I've noticed this process is not very good or it's not, 
ideal. There is no playbook, right? That everything is going to work exactly the same for every company. But with experience, and especially when I was business angel and product advisor, I was in product league, a mentor of a, of a product manager, and I've worked in a couple of companies. You see certain patterns and certain things work better. Mm-hmm. So you can use the data. I've observed that this is not working for, because I got this data and this is what I realized in this meeting, this meeting, this meeting. So I have a couple of suggestions and you need to present it to people. Ideally, not in first, first week after joining <laughs> because that's a bit crazy. So that's what I mean. You need to understand where certain things are happening. Recently, I came up with a great idea that we should change the dashboard and we should change the statuses. And the team told me, yes, that's exactly what we had before previous. <laughs> I thought engineering changed that. So I'm like, okay, I thought I'm ingenious. But no, they already knew that. Somehow they changed it for unknown reason to something completely weird. And now we are going back to something they know. So that was also very nice because I went to one person and I said, hey, I had this idea. What do you think about it? I think it's going to bring us a lot of visibility and transparency where we are standing in terms of development. And she said, yeah, that's what we had before. But then another person changed. So we are going to be very happy to change to that because we almost forgot. But you need to get buying from people and you need to explain them why you are doing certain changes. And usually people are going to be uh, happy mm-hmm. about the changes. I mean, people don't like changes, but they are going to... If they see the value in those changes, they're definitely gonna, you're gonna get a buy-in. Okay. So thanks for that. So we've now, let's, let's kind of look at it logic. It was done 90 days now. We're now getting to kind of three, six, 12 months. A couple of things you've said is, you know, to make, ultimately make yourself redundant, you want to coach people, make them a better PM. So yeah, you're sitting there in a meeting and actually they start to just do your job for you, really. And they, you don't need to kind of, bump them along the way or ask some questions to get them thinking. So as a product leader, how do you coach people to make them better at product management and ultimately make yourself redundant? Mm. Maybe I should clarify that I don't think anyone can make themselves redundant within the first six months. So it's not like you're going to lose your job immediately. I mean, it would be wonderful, to be honest. And I'm sure you could get the recommendations to another company very quickly. So you can come up with the job. It's a very long process. Okay. And in one situation, it took me almost two and a half, three years until I was getting bored. And then mm-hmm. I paid there for a couple of months, still optimizing until I became literally redundant. So mm-hmm. it's a long process. I'll reframe the question then. How do you coach people to make them better PMs? Yeah, but it takes time also to coach people. So when I joined the organization and I'm a new leader, I cannot make a judgment for the first six months, probably three to six months. I cannot make a 100% judgment about the person Mm -hmm. because you're still learning the dynamics and you're learning about the relationship with another person, right? So the first three months, you're basically relying on another person, um, on another person's assessment. So what I try to do, I try to understand the people and I try to understand their motivations and career goals. And then I ask them to do an assessment. We agree in general on the roles and responsibilities. And I try to assess, try, I ask them to assess themselves against this job description. Like, okay, this is the requirement. This is what we need from a product manager. Where do you think you're very strong and not so strong? 
So we can start working, we can, we can start making certain personal development plans. And I cannot assess it, right? I can make a lot of assumptions and hypotheses, but it's also almost rude and arrogant. If I come to you after two months, I'm like, you cannot roll maps mm-hmm. or you cannot, you are not analyzing data well enough or you don't know how to talk to the users to how to do usability testing, right? So at first I'm relying on, on product managers assessing themselves or UX designers or any other own. And then I have my own observations. And after some certain time, I can also say I've observed that in a couple of meetings and I have slightly different observations. What do you think about this and that? What I also do with people, and it was very helpful. Also, my previous CPO sold me this trick. We do Gallup Strength Finder. So you learn. Sorry. Uh, Gallup Strength Finder. Gallup Strength Finder. Thanks. Finder. So you're trying to find strength of people. There is this theory, which I really like, that in sports, when you have a fantastic Olympic swimmer, nobody is going to make this swimmer marathon runner, right? You yeah. just improve in swimming. And we tend to do this in a workplace, that we have this fantastic swimmer, somebody's really good in analyzing the data, talking to the users and coming up with the ideas. Maybe not the best executor. And why would you make your life and this person's life miserable by trying to make them executors? Like focus on the skills, which they are very good at, and then support them and offer help in execution. And I had this in one company we did. We had a team of seven people and whatever we were trying to do, and we had sessions with CEO or management team, everybody in the team asked, but why? Why are we doing this? We're really couldn't get bothered with anything because everybody was challenging everything. And we did this Gallup Strength Finder because I didn't understand the team dynamics. I was still getting to know the team. And then we learned that everybody had four out of five. So you are in the Gallup Strength Finder, you are assessing top five skills. And then you have four categories. And in each category, you have roughly five, six skills, top, top strengths. And everybody had four out of five strengths within strategic thinking. Nobody had any execution skills or relationship building. Everybody was on the strategy side. So you also start understanding, okay, these are the strengths of my people and I need to balance it out whenever I'm hiring with another skill. And you can create personal development plans without making this uh, very hard work because you make someone understand the Excel and or make PowerPoint presentations so, and they are not very good at. So you can combine these strengths with the aspirations and create, well, I do it on a quarterly basis. So we create three to five, not too many. So we always have a lot of ideas what we can work on, but we pick three to five areas for the improvement, areas for the development or, or interests in general. And then we try to check it on a weekly basis in our one-on-ones. How can I support? What's the progress? It's not that I can support with everything. So when I have backend engineer, I'm really bad backend engineer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> as an executor, right? But I know what you should, like what skills you should have. So then we need to find, we need to find how we can outsource some, outsource it so someone else can support this person in improving certain skills, right? Mm -hmm. The same with UX designers. One UX designer in one of my companies, she wanted to learn about how to perform user testing. The other one wanted to learn about UX writing. And I told them, I can support you. I'm, I'm ready to have an opinion about everything, but I'm not very good at this. So let's find you 
a coach or a mentor outside of the organization who can help you building those skills. So it's coaching and mentoring people doesn't mean that I'm going to do everything by myself. It's just finding these places where you want to improve someone, support them, finding how they can improve these skills, and then checking on a regular basis, making sure that they also have space for it. I think that's quite, well, very interesting what you've just taken us through there. That's something that's not been discussed before, this Gallup's strength test. So to summarize that then, we do the strength test, assess people's top skills, assess where the strengths are, what the strategy execution is, um, and then to actually start to develop a plan around that and then keep checking on it constantly. What Since, you, since your role... CPO taught you this method. What's been your biggest learnings through introducing this in in your teams? Strength finder or like general? Strength finder. So I think one of the most interesting learning for me personally was I had one out of five top skills in strategic thinking. So apparently all my skills are in relationship building. I was almost devastated. It looked like I have, all I can do is talk. <laughs> I was just about to say, but I didn't know. So you can talk the talk, but might not be able to. And I thought, this is, this is terrible. No, I, I'm really good in, and so I think my top, my top skills was achiever responsible achiever mm-hmm. and then they said well th- we are really sorry because we are this is on the execution side so mm-hmm. i'm gonna i'm gonna get it delivered and i'm gonna feel responsible for everything and then two were about individualization and who so individualization is adjusting your communication style depending on the person it's been a while so maybe i'm mixing up something but and then who is ch- in general creating more more friendly atmosphere within in a room with people so it was a lot but there was nothing around strategic thinking and strategy is so important Mm -hmm. and i thought this is gonna be a disaster now it's it's the start of everything but i have seven people in my team who are strategic thinkers i know what so i'm very good in execution i know what are the elements of strategy and i have seven people very good at this let's involve them and actually people love it we created in in one of the previous companies, we actually created a consultants page, disassemble head of product or or VP product. So how to make myself redundant? And people looked into their skills and their strengths and interests, and they they were taking over my job partially. So we even made it like an open open page. Yeah, so open sourced it then. Yeah, it's these something seems very passionate about, which is nice to hear. Um, and it's something I'm going to look into the team. But tech source, definitely. Because, yeah, I think as a coach, we should always be coaching. We should always be mentoring and always trying to help the team get better. So we've spoken a lot about communication, okay? And it's always talked about, you know, whenever I ask tech or product leaders, what can people improve on? How can people get better? Communication is key. And it's what we find to be one of the leading factors in why people don't progress in interviews. And you've also spoken about data analytics. So could you elaborate, please, on how can we improve the, A, evaluate, we've talked about the importance of communication, but then also data analytics skills. And how can we as product managers improve our data analytics skills day to day? So I almost feel like the data is really underestimated. There is a saying that, that, that data is the new oil. 
And quite often in many, in many companies, in many startups that I collaborated with or the product managers I mentored, you want to focus on analyzing the data, which is the data, but also like customer interviews, heat maps. So there is a lot of data that you can have different formats, not necessarily the Excel file, right? Okay. And the data is not available. So I think the first thing is to learn people how with the data you can take better decisions and what kind of data do you need in order to take better decisions. So if, and I had this, I had this situation in one company that we had a tool, which was not Google Analytics due to GDPR for GDPR reasons. We couldn't use Google Analytics. So we are using another tool and I joined as a head of product. And what we need to do is merge the data from different systems and do like manual lookups. And every day we have to merge this data and log into a couple of places. And then we have free version of the tool, which deletes the data after a couple of days. You don't even have the data. So it's very difficult to analyze it afterwards. So first thing to teach people why this data is important. How does it change your perception of the reality? <laughs> And how does it help you to build a better, better product? We did in, in my previous company, we did like very, very external user research internally and externally. So you have a lot of data from the users, why they want to use the product, what are the pay points, what are the jobs to be done? And you can start collaborating different. So we had six people from external user research, six people from internal user research. You can correlate this data. And you can correlate it with that data, which you have from heat maps and internal users, current existing users. And you can start seeing where you have heat maps on your data points and what is becoming the most important. Because if you are, if you interview 12 people and you ask them, okay, top five challenges you have in a given space, in a given field, usually free use, free problems are going to be with every user. So you see, okay, I don't, I no longer have a problem prioritizing. Like it's just in my face because if I put, if I structure Miroboard or, or any other analytical or any other tool and I structure these data points and then put votes, it's just becoming so easy for you to take decisions and also justify those decisions against other people because people say, Oh, I would like to develop this product. But you say, Hey, I talked to the users. I have the data behind it. Users have completely different problems. Your hypothesis and your ideas are actually not valid in external world. And that's why we have challenges selling the product or users are starting converting. This is the data and it's very easily displayed for you, backed up by the internal, external interviews and additional Google Analytics and so on and so forth. So you can back up your decisions, right? So I think there's two parts. One is having a data and understanding why it's very important to have it and how to structure it. And the second one is learning the tools which are out there, which can help you to visualize it in order for other people to understand why you took certain decisions. What has been the best tools that you've used for this? And what yeah. would you recommend a PM to start with? I love Miroboard. Uh, I think this is the only tool I could use, actually. So it makes it so easy to collaborate, especially in a remote environment. Mm -hmm. You can even use it with external users. You can ask them. So there is Figma and there is Miroboard. You can do a lot of user testing, user research with both tools. I think Figma in general is much better. But if you want to collaborate on certain ideas and collect the ideas, you even have a lot of templates. So you can say, okay, I had this, this set of users and I interviewed for pain points, jobs to be done. There are literally ready templates which you can use. 
and it makes your life just so much easier and you are inputting the data into the ready timeline. And it's very easy to move around, link it with other tools. So yeah, I would say Miro is my number one for analysis and then Figma for uh, creating mock-up sketches. Okay. You mentioned it there, prioritization. And this is, I think it's quite a, a key skill for PMs. And it's something when we sometimes take specs of product manager roles that they'll want a bigger emphasis on this. Sorry. Yeah, we just find that when we're, Searching, uh, we start a search for for a company, and they want a PM. Sometimes they want a bit of a focus on somewhere along the, the soft, well, the product development lifecycle. Maybe because, as you mentioned, they they've looked at the team and now they know where where the weak points are. So prioritization is often a complex challenge for PMs. How do you approach prioritization, and what frameworks or methodologies have you found to be effective in your experience? Mm-hmm. So I think prioritization is not a challenge for PMs. I think it's a challenge for the entire organization. <laughs> it's a challenge of the organization because you need to take certain decisions. You need to decide what you do do, what you do not do, and then make it transparent so everybody has the same understanding. It comes a bit with the product strategy, but you need to have you need to have the basis in order to help you to prioritize, and then. As a PM, I feel you are, you should really position yourself more as a facilitator than an ultimate decision maker and let other people fight. No, let, let's put them in the room and facilitate this. And quite often there is such a burden on product managers that, okay, I need to talk to sales team and I need to understand their challenges and what is their priorities. Then I need to talk to the marketing team. And then I need to talk to the ops team and it's so many back and forth. What I usually do, I create stakeholder meetings because for me as a salesperson, marketing person or ops person, my problems and my challenges are the most critical and the most important ones. So I will never give up because I don't know what is the reality of other people. No? Yeah. But if you bring all the people together and then you have a vision, you have a strategy, you have quarterly goals. So you know what is the main focus of the company. And then collect from everybody all the ideas, all the challenges. Let's create one list. And let's do it in one meeting. So everybody has a common understanding. And then there are many tools like RISE. I never understand. I can never explain the abbreviation, but it's a very complex tool with four different dimensions. And there is also weighted jobs, something. So very complicated tools. I use very, very easy one, business value or, or business risk versus effort. So it's only two dimensions and it's very easy for people. You don't really have to explain what is the difference between the reach and impact like with rise. So very easy business, business value versus effort. And it's a quadrant. So you have four areas, but you don't tell people what is where you ask them to assess from zero to 10. What is the business value? And then everybody starts putting 10. No. So you need to start negotiating, like not everybody, not everything is the most important. Not everything is urgent and priority number one, but you are all in the room. So everybody explains a bit and then they start moving around because they're like, okay, actually mine is not as important as yours. It's maybe next after that. So people start moving on the axis on the business value. And then you ask engineers, ideally they are in the same meeting because if they hear the conversations, they already know, they can already imagine some of the solutions and they can already say like, okay, but this one is actually very teeny tiny. And we know that something which has a very, very big business impact, but very small technical effort, you just start doing it, right? Mm. This is the priority number one. 
So everything what is in the quadrant of very teeny tiny effort, but very big business value, this is what you take immediately. And then you go through other quadrants and then you have the one which has zero business value or very minimal business value, but high technical effort. You never touch it. So yeah, the technical effort is a very important factor. And the projects that have a lot of business value, but have a lot of technical effort, you start understanding, I need to break them down into smaller pieces. So this is what I use with stakeholders. It works magic because as I said, they start having conversation and it's not only my responsibility as a product person to have conversation with everybody. It's a joint decision and everybody, you ask at the end, like, okay, do we agree with this? Are we good? Is everything matching our uh, objective for this quarter? Of course, there is some room for the, for, for the ne- negotiations and improvement, but this is how we prioritize. What I usually tend to do, and I also recommend that I take 20% of the backlog for random requests. You can never reject everything throughout that quarter. So there will be something that will happen. So you take out a bit of time, you take out a bit of time for potential bugs, which may or may not happen. So you commit to a bit less from the priority, from top to the bottom, and then you surprise your stakeholders in a positive way. Hey, we actually overachieved if nothing else happened, right? Two questions there. So you mentioned stakeholders. Who are you bringing into these meetings then? Someone from every department there. You mentioned engineering, but who else is in this? Is it a company-wide thing that we're all discussing this? Mm-hmm. Who else is there in these meetings? Yes, it also depends a bit on the company and the size of the company and the structures internally. What is the most important at the very beginning, especially in a product engineering department, is to create teams, which consists of product manager or product owner. I started realizing the terminology is less and less clear throughout the years. So product manager, product owner, and cross-functional team responsible either for a specific product or the part of the value chain. So you want to structure your teams in a way that you don't or you minimize dependencies between the teams. So you have a product manager, cross-functional team of developers, then UX designer or QA manager, depending on the setup of the company within the team, and you have a group of stakeholders. And product manager and this group of stakeholders who are... This is a cross-functional team, not only product development, but cross-functional team, which is teamwork. It's a very important word in this. You're working together towards the goal. So product manager is not a link between business and tech. It's really like to me, it's almost like a facilitator. So this team is working together and is agreeing on everything together. So I always recommend the more people, for example, if you have operations team, the more people from the operations team you involve, the better. So it's not only VP operations, one stakeholder who is always biased, right? There's always some problems you assimilate yourself more with to bring as many people as possible to have very, very meaningful conversations in product review meetings or in product prioritization meetings with people who are going to use the solution you're developing as a product or you are uh, developing as a product manager and engineering team. Really kind of whatever we're trying to prioritize, anybody that might have an influence on that in the business or anybody that product influences in the business should be involved in those meetings. Yeah. I've heard it a lot, especially when I'm interviewing and I'm asking people, okay, so who was your stakeholder? Who has been your stakeholder in, this, in your last company? And they say CEO, VP, product, and VP engineering. 
none of them, none of these brave people actually knows what's happening. And if you don't involve other people, you you are really hiding a lot of information because me as a VP product, I cannot really understand everything what's going on around the company, right? And even if I do, I may misunderstand it and I may pass the wrong information and then we are working on the wrong thing and I'm not the one affected by this. So you should involve actually people who are affected. If you are working on the operational side of things as a team, talk to the operations team. They are the, the users. Then they will tell you, can I use it? Is this really my biggest problem or is it biggest problem because CEO thinks investors need it? Huh? Mm-hmm. So talk directly to the people. Nice. And you mentioned there as well, when you were taking us through everything, do the, you know, at the end of the meeting, do these align to the OKRs, the quality goals, objectives? How often are you having these kind of prioritized meeting, meetings with all the stakeholders? Every quarter for OKRs, every six months, every year? What What's best for you, do you think? So, so I think for, I think in general, planning anything above the quarter is really uh, almost like a waste of time. I understand it's also needed, especially when you're in venture capital startup, they, they do require the roadmap. I had one situation in my company, we created a two-year roadmap and five years later, this roadmap was still valid because the reality changes so much. Something else becomes, it becomes so much more important than the things you thought uh, about when you were originally creating the roadmap. That, yeah, I think this roadmap is still valid. Like the ideas, they are still not done, but anything else became much more important. So I created only on the quarterly basis. And by the end of the quarter, we have one month before the quarter, we have like a countdown, we call it. We have management meetings. So that's when we are agreeing on the quarterly balls, which are of course linked to the North Star and the company and product vision. So you, but you try to agree on the focus area for the next quarter. With the management team. That's the basis for everything, right? And then you start talking to the rest of the organization. So they, product managers, developers, stakeholders, they start communicating with each other and they start prioritizing. It's on a quarterly basis. Like I said, 20% buffer. Oh, we depends. Sometimes it's more. If you are in a very dynamic startup, we even need more. If we know from the data, okay, it didn't work, which of course try to get to the root of the problem where we cannot plan very well. But if you are in a partner business, sometimes you can't plan. So we leave the buffer and you do it on a quarterly basis. Okay. Uh, I don't do it on a yearly basis. Like I said, from my experience, it's a waste of time. It's nice to collect ideas, have them in the backlog, look for them once in a while. But putting on a timeline, I, I no longer do it. So we've covered quite a few topics today. And if we could cover more, but unfortunately, we are coming towards the end this year. Now, what are your thoughts on the future of product management? You know, considering the current market trends and shifts, you know, companies moving from growth to more efficiency metrics, how do you see um, the role of product management evolving and what skills or knowledge do you think as well is going to be critical for the success moving forwards? So I think it was December when chat GPT became a beginning and there's so much content about product managers will not be needed through chat GPT and the AI. Said that about every industry, you know, if um, there won't be no recruiters left if, if everyone believed what, what uh, really, okay. So maybe, uh, I took it so personally, uh, but I think 
in general, and this is also what I'm observing recently, if you are releasing someone from the organization, it's HR, because when you are making cuts on operational cuts, it's HR recruiters, because you don't need them, because you know you're not going to be recruiting. Mm -hmm. I see it more and more, it's product managers. You keep developers, you keep UX user researchers, UX designers, but you are removing product managers. Because in general, my feeling is that there is this positive trend that people try to focus more and more on the user needs. I, I'm joining meetings where marketing people tell me marketing shouldn't be a surprise that they know the personas and they are, uh, but they are so user-centric. Operations team is so user-centric. So what was the core value of the product managers focusing on the users, focusing on the user needs, having workshops about pain points, jobs to be done, pro- covering user researches, user testing. That was the core job of the product managers. Although many people think it's ticket creation. This is something that is becoming also like the asset of other departments. And I see more and more departments actually doing this kind of exercises, which is fantastic, right? Building user-centric products, products that are solving needs of the users. That's what should have happened from the beginning. So I feel like product management is going to be a bit more irrelevant. I think it's going to convert, but at the same time, we're seeing more and more data about these users. So... I honestly think if you have all the data, if you have someone who has organized a lot of data in a proper way, you can ask AI to write the ticket, no? Like, who likes writing tickets? No one likes that. So I think it's going to convert more into like product data management or something. And because we get more and more data. And I think it's going to go a bit more into structuring all of this data and making this data more digestible and analytics easier. But more and more people within the organization start understanding and are really much more into the user need. There is more and more tools. So I think the future of product management is bright, but it's going to be disassembled (laughs) and it's going to convert into more data analytical part. So with all these new tools coming out then, ChatGPT, helping people saying PM is going to be made redundant, what would you say to more junior PMs right now? So I'm your mentee. Say, what advice would you be giving me to now to actually position myself in one, two, three years' time to make sure, yeah, I'm actually not being made redundant, but actually I'm a key asset to the business? There is a couple of tools which I use more and more, and I would really recommend getting into those tools, right? Getting really good at Google Analytics, which is actually going to change soon. Hotjar, all the user research tools and getting a lot into user research. That's what I would recommend. All the junior product managers getting into their users, really focusing on user centricity and in data analytics, Scrum, Agile, all the courses leave us for, for the other uh, occasion, because I think this is also something that can be the whole ticket creation system and the whole managing of the projects being agile, I think this is also something that can be really easily solved with the AI tools in the future. So, yeah. We've just spoken there about the kind of the challenges within product management, let's say. And to finish this off, we always like to ask everyone, Kashia, what do you see to be being the biggest challenges in technology at the moment? In technology or in product? Oh, I feel like we've just answered the products one. You can say both if you want, if you've got answers for both. 
because I feel like, the, and this is why you shouldn't have like CPTOs or head of product engineering, because you always have someone who is leaning more towards something. So I'm always thinking more about the product. Not our new head of product engineering as well at the moment. Yeah. And I lean more towards the product, but okay. I have very strong principal engineers who is That's good. Hold, holding me tight on the engineering side. So I think in general, the challenge for the startups in the last couple of years is building the products that are needed and that are actually mm-hmm. solving the problem. I think the capital was so cheap at some point, everybody could become a founder. And there is so many startups that are initially so difficult to grasp. What are you actually doing? Why is your value proposition better? And I feel like this is much more of a challenge than the technical challenge. Because if we don't have anything valuable to build, there is no technology, mm-hmm. right? There is technology, but it's maybe not that needed. So I would say for me, products that are actually valuable and solving user needs are the biggest challenge at the moment. And do you feel like innovation on that has slowed down in terms of building products that people need? Because a lot of the products that people need are actually already kind of out there and solved and already thought of. I think the innovation slowed down, but maybe not because there is nothing to be solved. I mean, there's traffic in the every city there are really big problems no you are waiting for a doctor appointment for seven months so i think there is a lot of optimization around the city management hospitalization i, I don't know like there is so much there is climate crisis increasing temperatures of the water there is so much to solve but i think for a very long time we focused so much on these easy wins easy startups mm-hmm. yet another banking app with a bit more better ux than berliner sparkasse but worse functionalities just because you can be a co-founder. So I think the focus was wrong and the capital, like the money was too cheap and it didn't really require any specific innovation. But I think we're going to get back there. I'm sure I think so as well. Well, Kasia, it's been a very insightful conversation. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so Recorded, much. You're very welcome. We could, I think, a, a few very interesting topics that we've, I think, delivered some key actionable insights on. The strength test, that's something new. I'm going to be looking into that definitely. Thanks very much. I can send you It's very interesting. So, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Actually, good luck at Expatrio with what you're doing there. And thank you very much. Thank you very much.